All right, what is up, Willow family? It is so good to be with you at all of our campuses and online. We are at the end of a series called Against All Odds. We've been looking at some underdog stories in the Bible. Last week, we had the Acho brothers here. Uh, We had Megan Marshman come. She told us a story about the New Testament church that was an underdog story because they were, you know, this ragtag group of folks, but man, they loved Jesus and partnered with the power of God, and they ended up changing the world. I mean, look at what has happened through those folks. And I told a story a couple weeks ago, probably one of the most famous underdog stories, and that's David and Goliath. And I didn't have time to kind of zero in on one of the things that I loved about that story, and that is this that David never understood himself to be an underdog. David was this young guy that was going up against this big guy, and, and he just never saw himself as an underdog. He had this courage. He had this confidence. In fact, one of my favorite details in all of Scripture is in that story. One of my favorite details that I come back to again and again and again in my own life And that is where David says, or it says that he ran quickly to the battle line to meet Goliath. Now look at that. He ran quickly to the battle line to meet Goliath. And right there I think, man, what courage. What what, what impossible courage that he had going to meet this guy. And I think, man, right there, God could be giving a word to somebody that's hearing my voice. That there could be some area where you feel like maybe you're an underdog, maybe some area where you feel like, oh my goodness, I feel like God might be calling me to, to um, start my own shop. And I'm praying about it, and people are telling me, yeah, you should start your own shop, but I'm just not sure. And God might be saying to you, run to the battle line. Or you might be thinking, man, I've always felt like maybe I should go back to school and get my degree. And people around you are saying, yeah, do that. That would be great. And you're praying about it and you're not sure. And you've got this lack of courage. You're not sure. And, and God could be saying to you right now, run to the battle line to make it happen. I got a young man uh, this week that was telling me, I'm just, I've been praying to meet the one. He's in college and He's like, I've got this girl, and I'm not sure if I should, you know, ask her out. She's a Christian, and people are saying we'd be great together, and that sort of thing. And I'm like, man, come on. You know, turn off the Xbox, slap on some deodorant, and go. <laughs> like, run to meet this girl. David, he just never understood himself to be an underdog. He never felt like an underdog. And the reason I zoom in on that two weeks later is this. That's not always me. And it's probably not always you. Because sometimes the truth is whether I am an underdog or not an underdog, I feel like one. There are times that I feel inadequate for the task. There are times when I'm wondering, am I going to measure up? Do I have what it takes? Am I the only one? Am I the only person that sometimes looks in the mirror and goes, really, God, you're sending me? Like, what is this about? 21 years ago. They took this beautiful little baby named Grace, and they put her in my arms. And I thought, all I could think about was like when I was 10 years old, and I didn't feed my goldfish, and it died. And I'm like, you're giving me a human being and letting me take that home? Are you kidding me? You ever feel inadequate as a parent? Like, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. You ever come to church and feel inadequate? Or maybe you go to a small group, and people are going, yeah, I'm at Devotions and Zachariah, and you're like, what? Zechariah, I didn't even know that was a book of the Bible, you know? Or they're talking about cubits, and they actually sound like they know what a cubit is. 
Or maybe you came to church today and the music started at all the campuses, the music started and you kind of looked around and there were some people that were like immediately, they were, they were into it. And you're like, what do they know that I don't know? They're full on touchdown Jesus and you're just like, I don't know what that's about. Like at the most, maybe you're like, carry the TV, you know, kind of a worshiper and you're just going, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And it can happen in any area of life. You know, your career, sometimes you feel like an underdog, inadequate for the task. Are you going to measure up? Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's in relationships. But it can happen in any area of life. I heard a a pastor talk about at least two places or two things that can cause us to feel like an underdog. One is this, unfair criticism. Unfair criticism. Now, not all criticism is bad. Not all criticism is bad. Some criticism is good. Raise your hand at all of our campuses if you've ever taken a golf lesson. Raise your hand if you've ever had a golf lesson. All right, or a music lesson, right? Golf lesson. Ed Ali, I know at at North Shore, I know you've had a a golf lesson. But do you know what you've done, all of you that raised your hand? You paid someone to criticize you. You valued their criticism so much because you knew it could make you better. You knew that they would look at you and they would say, hey, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> this, is, this is how you need to do it. So all criticism is not bad. I'm talking about the unfair criticism. It's either inaccurate or they're giving it to you in a mean way and it's been, it's been dug into your psyche. They've said things like you're never going to measure up. You're never going to have what it takes. You're not worth that. You're never going to amount to anything. And there's something about that that's been burned into your psyche. It's been burned into the the, the hard drive of your mind. And therefore, you just kind of go around all the time feeling like an underdog. Because you've experienced unfair criticism. Uh, Is another one. Um, Another thing that can lead to that feeling is uh, unwise comparisons. Unwise comparisons. You look down the street and you go, oh, their hedges are nicer than my hedges. His car is shinier than my car. We're comparing ourselves to other people. Um, Social media has made this horrible. Because you look on social media and your friends have just spent the day at the apple orchard. You know. Or they're on their Mexico beach vacation. Or they just posted their five-mile run, and you're still in your pajamas, you know? And we just got through uh, back-to-school season. Can we talk about the first day of school picks that you guys are now doing? Goodness, I, this, this was my generation that came up with this, but I'm telling you, as parents, Rachel and I felt like if we get them to school in clean underwear and a packed lunch, we're doing it. Like, that's good. And you guys come out with your professional photo shoots on the first day of school, you got little chalkboards <laughs> that are like class of 2023 or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, that's so clever. But I don't need that pressure, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We compare ourselves to other people and we think, man, we're just not measuring up. Can I just share this with you? Somebody said this about social media, that when we are comparing ourselves to other people on social media, we are comparing our blooper reels to their highlight reels. Does that make sense? Because you know, yeah, you can clap for that. You guys are clapping. Oh, yeah, we have blooper reels, right? 
Like, we know what our life is like, and we don't take pictures of those things and put them up on, you know, the times where we've blown it, the times where it's mediocre, the times that we skipped a workout, the times that we didn't have lobster for dinner or whatever. We, 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 we don't put that up there. So we know our blooper reels, our behind-the-scenes, but we're always comparing that to their highlight reels. So anyway, um, these are the things that, if we're not careful, can lead us to feel inferior, can lead us to feel like an underdog, like you don't measure up, like you don't have what it takes. So what I want to do is I want to talk about what do you do when you feel like an underdog? What do you do when you feel like that, going up into a challenge? And I'm going to be in Judges chapter 6 today. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. You can open it up on your phone, that sort of thing. Um, but we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. I want to look at a guy named Gideon. A guy named Gideon. Um, we'll start in verse 11. Uh, chapter 6, verse 11 says this. The angel of the Lord. Now stop right there. I know we just got into it, but let me stop right there. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus before Christmas, Okay. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. In fact, there's a fancy theological term for it. It's called theophany. Everybody say theophany, right? So now when you go to small group and Zechariah guy comes up, you can, you can blow him away. All right, well, that's a theophany. All right, the angel of the Lord. So Jesus is there with Gideon, and it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. She got a TV show. She got a network. Now she got an oak tree in the Bible named after her. Good on you, Ophrah. All right, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I know many of you are astute wheat threshers, and you're immediately wondering to yourself, why would he be threshing wheat in a wine press? But for the rest of us who don't understand what is going on there, what's peculiar about that, let me just explain. When you thresh wheat, you're basically taking, you're trying to separate the chaff, which is this sort of loose, um, light, uh, um, worthless um, uh, part of the stalk, and you're trying to get the wheat, the good stuff. And so you're throwing it up in the air, and, and you want to eventually, th- it goes up in the air, and, and they'll separate, and you want to do it mostly like up on a hill where there's wind or out in the open because that's going to help you out throw it up, the wind will take the chaff away. But Gideon, strangely, is in a wine press. Now, a wine press, you want it to be cool and damp. So you're going to be down in a pit, maybe in a cave. A wine press, you're going to to be, you know, sort of inside, indoors, protected from the wind. And so back then, if you'd have been reading that, you'd have been like, what is he doing threshing wheat in a wine press? It goes on. Um, basically what we, what we find out is that he is afraid of the Midianites, the enemy people. He's, he's threshing wheat in sort of a hidden bunker, in sort of a, a pit of fear, almost a pit of, of inadequacy or insecurity because he's afraid of the Midianite people who could raid or could kill or to whatever. And so that's what he's doing. He's stuck in this pit. So what I want to look at is when you're in the pit, what do you do? Okay, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, 
The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Jesus looks at him and says, mighty warrior, in the same moment that he's acting like a scared farmer. And so the first thing I would share with you is this. Trust what God says about you. If you ever come upon a season of life or a challenge and you start to feel like the underdog, like you're feeling insecure, you're feeling inadequate for the task, the first thing I would encourage you to do is trust what God says about you. Now, many times that's not who we're trusting. We're trusting the voice of some hot-headed coach that in a moment of frustration, you know, told us you're never going to amount to anything. You're cut from the team. Or some, some uninspired teacher that sort of is constantly rolling their eyes or making you feel less than. And you're listening to that voice. Or maybe you're listening to some bully, Timmy. Nine-year-old little Timmy who bullied you as a kid. And you're listening to that voice. And I would just ask you, what is it about their resume that makes them so trustworthy in your life? When you have the creator of the universe, a God who created not just the universe, but you, who is telling you true things about yourself, and yet instead of listening and trusting his definition, his his speaking, his identity over you, you're thinking about these other people in your life. Trust what God says about you. Now let me ask you, mighty willow warriors, what do you need to hear God say about you today? I mean, for Gideon, it was, you know, you're a mighty warrior. That's what he needed in his time. And I don't, I don't know, this is kind of where the, the message goes, choose your own adventure, because I don't know what it is that you need to hear from God today. But I will tell you that he says a lot about you in Scripture. What is it that you need to hear? And I I think the assignment or the action step that you could take from today would be, okay, to figure out this is what I need to hear, and then go find some scripture, put it on a post-it note, and stick it on your bathroom mirror, and then try and memorize that scripture. Keep coming back to that scripture so it can encourage you. So so maybe you need to hear, uh, God has a purpose for me. And so... You know, maybe it's Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he prepared and planned for us long ago. So you are both a work of art, a masterpiece, and an artist at work partnering with God in the most incredible purpose there is, which is to, to better the world, to do the good things that God has called you to do. Maybe that's what you need to hear. Maybe you're, you're listening to my voice and you just feel like damaged goods, worn out, worthless. Second um, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. In other words, you are redeemed. Maybe that's what you need to hear. My brother-in-law uh, has a business where he takes down old barns that, that, and, and the farmers don't even, they don't charge him because they don't care about the barn anymore. It's just, it's worthless. It's run down. And he'll take that 
barn wood and turn it into, he'll redeem it. He'll, he'll make a new creation out of it, make it something worthwhile. This is an old barn, and this is our kitchen table. Rachel and I bought one of his pieces of furniture. And you can see how he takes something that's old and gives it new life. And that's what God can do with you. You say, well, I'm, I'm just kind of worn out. I'm damaged goods. No. God would say, you are a new creation. You say, well, I, I, you know what? I, I don't feel special. I don't feel valued. I just feel like a number at work. I, I just feel like my value. Like I don't have much value. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How do you determine the value of something? It's basically based on what someone is willing to pay for it. And God gave his one and only Son for you. What are you worth? I love you. I mean, I love you. I'd love to, I'd love to think that if, if it came to it, I'd take a bullet for any, any and every one of you. But I'm not, I'm, not giving, I'm not giving up one of my kids for you. I hope you understand that, but I'm just not. And yet, that's exactly what God does for you and for me. So I, I don't know what it is that you need to hear from God today, but I would encourage you to trust what he says about you. Go find a scripture that matches what you need to hear. And if you need help, call your campus pastor, call somebody you know, and they'll help you find a verse and then meditate on that and trust that. Second thing, check your attitude. If you are feeling insecure, inadequate, I don't measure up, I feel like an underdog, can I encourage you to check your attitude? Look at Gideon's attitude in verse 13. He says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that you foretold us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God asks. And you can just picture Gideon sort of kicking the dirt while he says it. It's like God's not even here. Like, How come he doesn't work the way he used to work? Just kind of staring at the ground, just sort of downcast, like, Why doesn't God show up? And like, what's so ironic about that for me is that he mentions Egypt and the whole story of the plagues and the the pillar of fire and the parting of the Red Sea and all all these things that were meant to be inspirational, that should be building his faith are things that he's using to look at. He's completely reframed it, his attitude, and going, well, God's not even working like that anymore. And what's more, (laughs) and he's like, and I don't even know where God is. How come God doesn't show up? And theophany, Jesus is right in front of him. And it's like he doesn't even see it. It's like he doesn't even know it. Folks, can I encourage you? Develop the discipline 
of remembering the goodness and the greatness, the good things that God has done, the great things that God has done in your life. Remember those things and also be on the lookout for God moving in your life. Don't let Jesus be right in your face and miss it. Don't let him be doing this blessing over here and working over here in your life and doing this over here. And yet because your attitude, you're fixed on something else, you completely miss what God is doing right in front of you. Check your attitude. Do do you know, um, there's, there's actually a gauge on an airplane. Every airplane has one that is the attitude gauge. Now, we, I didn't say altitude gauge. They have one of those too. You know that. The altitude measures like, you know, how high the plane is. We get that. That's the altitude. But there's also a gauge that measures the attitude of the plane. And that gauge measures the, the, um, the angle of the nose relative to the horizon. So if the attitude is down, the plane is like nose down. If the attitude is up, that is the plane, that the, the nose is up. And every pilot will tell you, you cannot gain altitude unless your attitude is pointed up. Do you see where I'm going with this? What would Albert Tate say? If you'd catch it quicker, I wouldn't have to preach as long. Remember when Albert would say that? Right? We've got to keep our nose up. We've got to keep our attitude up up i go around the country in the last year and pastors leaders from all over they'll they'll ask me hey okay you're the willow guy now okay and they'll lean in and they'll go hey hey how's it going at willow like we're some church on life support or something Like the challenges of our past are greater than the greatness of our God. Like he hasn't done amazing uh, amazing things among us. Like our God is not at work moving among us. I always tell them, I don't say we're doing good. I don't say we're doing bad. I just tell them what God is doing. Well, how's it going at Willow? I say, well, we had a celebration of hope, goal of a million dollars, but we didn't get it. We got a million five. That's pretty good. We had, how's it going? Well, well, we had over 300 people baptized so far this year, and the year ain't over yet. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, attendance. A lot of people measure attendance. Attendance is important. I think that it tells a story. But for me, it's more about engagement. But here's the thing. Across the country, people are looking at It's a weird thing to try and gauge with COVID, post-COVID. But the way we're trying to do it is most churches are looking at their pre-COVID numbers. Now, for most churches, big churches like us, they're at 50 to 60% um, of their pre-COVID numbers. And the churches in the South are skewing it higher because apparently COVID didn't happen in the South. I don't know what happened down there, but they've been open. We were open, you know, a little before Easter. They've been open since like November, so I don't really have anything to say about that. But here, here, here's the thing. They, South Barrington, you hit 53% a couple of weeks ago. That's pretty cool. Way to go, Sean. Way to go, Steph. Way to go, all the staff here. That's way to go. Huntley. Talking to you, Huntley. 
out there with Todd and Shannon and all you guys out there, you hit 77% of your pre-COVID numbers. How's Willow doing? You just heard about tailgate with almost uh, 4,000 4, people getting involved in small groups. And then we've had this vision for about a year about what it would look like to begin to open up our buildings on more than just a Sunday. And so there are lots, there's a lot going on about that. I don't have time uh, to go into it, but there's just a couple of this attitude of like, hey, let's start using our buildings. So people said, hey, let's do some concerts. Well, hey, Miguel, out of Crystal Lake, we see you with Jeremy Camp concert. That looks like a pretty hopping place. Isn't that amazing? And last night here at South Barrington, you know, we had Maverick City in. Check this out. Look at that. It was completely sold out. Every seat in this place was taken. Now, God is up to something. God is moving. I'm just going to ask you one more time at all of our campuses, how many of you believe that God is at work and the best is yet to come? How many of you believe that? Hey, here's my challenge to you today. We're going to give you free t-shirts. You like my t-shirt? Isn't it beautiful? Do you like this? We're going to give each of you a free t-shirt. This is what I think that would be the best stewardship of our church's dollars, because we're giving you a free t-shirt. We paid for these, okay? So, you, well, you paid for them, and then we're giving them back to you, but here's the deal. <laughs> I would love, since I'm saving you like 10 bucks on a t-shirt today, I would love to encourage you to go out to eat. Now, some of you are like, well, I was planning on going out to eat. Good, good, that's great. Some of you were not planning on it. I want to encourage you to go out to eat whether you're planning on it or not. Go out to eat wherever you are at all of our campuses. Go get your T-shirt after service. I want you to, put all, I want you to change into your T-shirts. I want to send thousands of people out to restaurants right around your campus. I think it'd be great if there was a party over here and a party over here of all these people with matching T-shirts at all these restaurants. And then here's what I want you to do. When the server comes up and says, hi, my name's Tim, I'll be taking care of you. At some point, I want you to be like, how you doing, whatever. At some point, I just want you to say these words. We just came from church, and we are hungry. (laughs) We're going to practice right now. We're going to practice right now. Ready? On three. We just came from church, and we are hungry. Ready? On three. At all of our campuses, you better say it out there, okay? (laughs) Here we go. One, two, three. We just came from church, and we are hungry. That's not good. Nope, don't clap at that. That was not good enough. Let's do it. You ready? Here we go. We just came from church, and we are hungry. That's all you got to say. And then leave the biggest tip you have ever left for that server. Are you with me on that? All right. That's what we're going to do. Everybody get your shirts on. That's what we're going to do. Okay, we got to get back to the Bible. Okay, back to the Bible. Third and final point is this. After you check your attitude, after you trust what God says about you, if you feel kind of like an underdog, then I'll give you the third one is play your part. Just play your part. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My... uh, uh, my my um, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answers, "Well, because I'll be with you. You'll strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive." Like, 
Gideon's like, well, how can I save Israel? I'm like, whoever told you you were going to do it? That's not your part. See, most of us will, will think about our lives in this way, that if it were a movie, if it were a, a play in a theater, that, that we are the star of the show and that we really need a, a, a sidekick. We really need a supporting actor like God to come and help us out with our lead role, with where we're going, with our story. That's what we need. So we need a guide. We need somebody to help us out. We need like Yoda to our Luke Skywalker. And I'm just here to tell you that it is not your story, that you are not the show, the the star of the show. God is never the supporting actor to you. He, it's his story. That's why it's called history. It's his story. And therefore you are the supporting actor to him. So play your part. And I'm not trying to give you bad news I'm trying to give you good news because here's what I want to tell you is that when you feel the pressure to do all the work when you feel the pressure to accomplish it when you feel like I don't know if I can pull this off it's okay relax because that's not your role your role is just to play your part to to do what God is calling you to do and then you watch how God works in your midst you watch God do amazing things Stacy King Y'all remember Stacey King played for the Bulls? Do you know this story? Because I love this story. Stacey King was playing for the Bulls. Um, Michael Jordan uh, gets his all-time in a game scoring record of 69 points. 69 points in one game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, um, and, but Stacey King got in the game at one point. He got in the game. He got one free throw. He made one free throw. And then there was a, uh, a, a, a media person, a reporter, a couple of months later was like, Stacy King, how do you feel about the season? And he said, I'll never forget the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. And I would just share with you that that is how it is with God. Like your part, you just have to do a little bit. And that God will show up in huge ways and take over. And and that's what happens. If you look at um, chapter 7, it's all about basically the process here. You can go read this for yourself. But there's 135,000 Midianites. And um, Gideon was able to muster 32,000 Israelites. Not good odds. I mean, against all odds story, that's like a, you know, like a, what are the odds? Like five I was told there'd be no math um, <laughs> as a pastor. So they're bad odds is what I'm saying. Um, but God says, still not good enough. You go read the story. It's really cool. God says, okay, th- 32,000, that's great. I want you to go and ask anybody who's scared, they can just go home. You release them. And so Gideon's like, what? He goes out and he says, well, if you're scared, you can go home. You don't have to fight. And 22,000 guys leave. <laughs> and I just, I just wish I was there to watch Gideon's face through all this. Because then, then God, Gideon comes back to God, and God's like, okay, now we're going to eliminate some more. What? He says, here's what you do. When you take the 10,000 people, take them down to the river, down to the pond. And anybody who drinks by laying down and drinking, uh, I want you to get rid of them. And Gideon's like, okay. And they end up, they end up. 9,700 guys leave. They're left with 300 people. 300 against 135,000. 
300 against 135,000. And then, and then God says, here's what we're going to do. You've heard of swords and spears and slings and things like that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a torch. I want you to take a clay pot. And I want you to go down to the Midianite camp. And then when I tell you, I want you to just kind of circle the camp at night. And I want you to flash the torch. I want you to yell real loud. I want you to smash the, the clay pots. And that's the battle strategy. And I'm just sure Gideon is going, okay. <laughs> and that's what he does. They smash the pots, they flash the torches, and the Midianites freak out. And 135,000 of them get them in the middle of the night in their PJs, and they're, they're discombobulated. They don't know what's going on. They end up turning on each other. They, they're, they're defeated. They're killing. They're defeating each other. And then the 300 special forces of Gideon are able to come in and do the rest of the work. He, he did a little bit. He got the one point. He got made sure the other uh, 69 were taken care of. I just want to encourage you. I, I don't know what it is, the big thing that you're facing right now. I don't know where it is that you feel insecure, inadequate, or like you don't measure up. But I just want to encourage you, trust what God says about you. I just want to encourage you to check your attitude. Watch for where God's working. And, and I just want to encourage you that when the odds are against you, you plus God are a majority. Yeah. You plus God have an advantage. You plus God can make anything happen. Um, I'll close with this. My mother, um, the last words my mother ever said to me before she passed away uh, she was too weak to swallow food. Um, and uh, we were in the, her hospital room, and she's in her bed, and I'm getting ready to leave, and you could just get a sense that this could be the last thing. And she got that sense too. And, and so she invited my brother, my dad, and myself to circle the bed. And, uh, and she says, I want to pray. And I'm thinking, I'm a pastor. I'm sure she wants me to do it. Um, she said, no, I want to pray. That was uncharacteristic of her. But she um, said, dear God, and she went around and she thanked God for every person, every grandkid, everybody in our family. She had to pause and take a breath uh, for each one. She was so weak, but she thanked God by name for each person. And then she said, God, and help us to know that there's nothing that's going to happen to us today that we can't handle with your help. Amen. So I want to share that prayer with you today. Give that as a gift to you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes at all of our campuses? I don't know what you're going through. But I just want to thank God for you. And I don't know each of your names, but God knows your name. He says in his word that every hair on your head is numbered. He knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what concerns you. He knows your heart. He knows where you're strong, and he knows when you're weak, and he knows 
He knows where you're stressed and what's going on in your life. He knows you, and I just thank God for you. And then I pray that you would know that no matter how you feel, no matter what criticism you've received, or no matter how you feel like you measure up against other people, no matter how you feel, that you would know that nothing is going to happen to you today. Nothing is going to happen to you in your work. Nothing's going to happen to you in your relationships. Nothing's going to happen to you with your health. Nothing is going to happen to you in your life today or in this season or in the future. Nothing is going to happen to you that you cannot handle without the help of our good God.